If you have your Bibles, if you'll turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 30, uh, as we continue in our sermon series, David, a man after God's own heart. Search and rescue. Search and rescue. If I just say those words, you know, they're chilling words, aren't they? When you hear search and rescue, there's probably a certain things that jump into your mind. Uh, it certainly describes something. There's certainly an urgency to search and rescue. It certainly come into focus during the devastation of Hurricane Ian. Uh, we know that that even is going on right now. Storms have caused havoc to us. Many of you have lost power. I've heard different stories. Uh, those in our neighborhood had trees on their roof. Uh, a lot of people sustained some damage. It's been havoc, has it not? But the storm has been devastating to others. I mean, devastating. We've seen some of the pictures. One of the hard things about being without power is you don't see the pictures. I'm texting people. Even texts were hard to go through. Tell me about what's going on in South Florida. Tell me about the devastation. Well, even worse than a search and rescue is when there's no hope for rescue. Uh, when that re hope is gone and then becomes a search and recovery. When they feel like, you know what, we're not going to be able to find life. Let's go over and find maybe a body. And that search and rescue will become a search and recovery. This morning, our text brings us to a scene of a successful rescue. It's an amazingly beautiful, successful rescue. It's a, a rescue orchestrated by a rising king um, who was able, by God's grace, to rescue all his people, all that was lost. And what, was, what he rescued was not lost to a hurricane, but he lost them to terrorists. Think about that. If your family was kidnapped, taken away by terrorists, uh, we're going to see a story of a search and rescue where all will be found. Again, this morning we continue in that sermon series looking at David, a man after God's own heart. We're going to see today that this David uh, is a rescuing king. Uh, that's a beautiful thing. We're going to see a beautiful story of search and rescue of God's people. But let me remind you, uh, as we are now, uh, I think this is week four. Let me remind you what I've reminded you every week, that it's always been God's design. Listen, it's always been God's design to love, to lead, to govern, to protect, and yes, and to rescue his people through a beloved godly king of his own choice. And we see that ultimately as we read through scripture, that's Jesus. That's always been God's design, to love and lead and protect and to rescue us through his son, the king of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus. We see that David, scripture will tell us, is uh, a man after God's own heart, a man whom God himself has chosen to be king of his beloved people, God is going to make uh, what's called a covenant. We're going to look at that specifically next week. But he makes this covenant, this promise with David. It's an incredible promise. It's one of those head-scratching God promises that he says to David that, that through his line, his kingdom will endure forever. And that through him, there will become a king who will last forever. And again, you think, how can that earthly be possible? What's well, only possible earthly when God himself steps into the picture, and we see Jesus is that promised king to come. It's his kingdom, it has come, that will never end, that will continue. And we see that this beautiful uh, King Jesus, and we realize that 
he has this really unique relationship to David. He is both David's son and the genealogy of David, but he's also David's Lord. Although he comes after David, he is above David. Psalm 110 beautifully sees that David himself calls the one to come, Lord, that he acknowledged that he has to bow to him. Now, we look at the, when we look at a scripture passage and we look at someone like David, here's what's really important. Our goal is never to just emulate David. There's a lot of things we should admire. And again, if we can strive to be more like David, that's great. But that's never the goal is to say, hey, emulate him, be like him. The goal in this service, this sermon, and everyone I'll ever preach is to worship Jesus, is to see him, see the beauty of who he really is, to look through the lens of Scripture, look at David, and then see the reality, the shadow that he casts that points to Christ and what Christ has done for us. So here's what we're going to look at today. Uh, we're going to look at one chapter of Scripture. It's going to be 1 Samuel chapter 30. It's an amazing story, a little long, so get ready. But this is God's holy and errant word. And we're going to see in this story, all was lost from David. David lost it all. But blessed is rock bottom when the rock is Christ. All was rescued by David and all was shared by David. Again, a little bit of background before we begin. David is the anointed king. A prophet named Samuel anointed David to be the future king of Israel, but it hasn't come to fruition yet. And so he is still the king in waiting, uh, but there is another king on the, on the throne. His name is Saul, uh, and that's not going very well. We've seen of David. David's a shepherd boy uh, who would actually, when lions and bears would come and try to mess up his sheep, who he could kill with bare hands. That's pretty amazing. If that's not enough, we see David. He's able to tackle Goliath and defeat the giant in Goliath. We see that uh, uh, David is an amazing musician and songwriter. We see that David is a very loyal subject to King Saul. Although he's the anointed king in waiting, he's very loyal to the king who is. Even when that king tries to take his life multiple times. We've seen that the king's son, Jonathan, is David's best friend. Um, and we see that this, this Saul, he's been after David. Uh, right now, in the point of the story, David is running from Saul. He's running from a jealous, irrational, irreverent king who's, who's afraid of uh, David. They sing songs that, hey, Saul is awesome warrior, but David's better. He kills his tens of thousands. But in all this, remember, David's a type of Christ. David is going to point to Jesus, and we're going to see some beautiful things. So I'm going to pray first, because I'm going to talk a little bit through the reading of Scripture. I often pray after reading Scripture, but let me ask God to come and bless the reading and preaching of his word. Let us pray. Father God, we have an amazing story. By your providence, here we are this Sunday to talk about search and rescue. Here we are this Sunday to talk about a rescuing king. And God, your people need to be reminded of the most awesome search and rescue that ever took place, that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost, that Jesus came to rescue sinners and to bring us home. God, we thank you for this true story of David. We thank you for the details that your word gives to us. Oh, Holy Spirit, would you come and join us? God, would you bless the reading of your word? God, would you bless the preaching of your word? 
may the, the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And it's in your matchless name that we pray. Amen. All right. The scripture will be up there on the screen for you. It's an amazing story. If you want to follow along, there's a Bible for you in, in front of you as well. Hear the word of the Lord. 1 Samuel chapter 30. Now when David and his men came from Ziglag on the third day, the Amalekites had made a raid against the Negev and against Ziglag. They overcame Ziglag and burned it with fire and taken captive the women and all who were in it both small and great. They killed no one, but carried them off and went their way. And when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and daughters taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. David's two wives had been taken captive, Ahoniam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of, of Carmel. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because all the people were bitter in soul, each of his sons and daughters, uh, for each of his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And David said to Abathar the priest, the son of Elimelech, bring me the ephod. So Abathar brought the ephod to David, and David inquired of the Lord, Shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? He, the Lord, answered him, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake and shall surely rescue. So David set out with and the 600 men who were with him, and they came to the brook Bezer, where those who were left behind stayed. But David pursued, he and 400 men. 200 stayed behind. They were too exhausted to cross the brook Bezer. Now remember, David and his men were coming back. They were on a three-day journey. Each one of those days, they were already traveling 25 miles. They've already traveled 75 miles. They come home, and this is the devastation they see. Immediately, they take off in pursuit. It was so bad that some had to stay behind. They found an Egyptian in the open country and brought him to David. And they gave him bread, and he ate. They gave him water to drink. And they gave him a piece of cake of figs and two clusters of raisins. And when he had eaten them, his spirit revived. For he had not eaten bread or drunk water for three days and three nights. Now, hey, pause. I know what I love about it. They told us his meal. Who cares what he ate? But they want to tell us. And that's what I love about Scripture sometimes. It just tells us, here's, here's what they gave him. And I just love the fact that that detail somehow finds its way uh, into God's word. Verse 13, and David said to him, to whom do you belong and where are you from? He says, I'm a young man of Egypt, servant of an Amalekite, and my master left me behind because I fell sick three days ago. That's a nice master, isn't it? When he made a raid against the Jev and the Jerusites and against those which belong to Judah and against the Jev of Caleb, and we burned Ziglag with fire. And David said to him, will you take me down to this band? And he said, Swear to me by God that you will not kill me or deliver me into the hands of my master, and I will take you down to this band. And when he had taken him down, behold, they were spread abroad over all the land, eating and drinking and dancing because of the great spoil they'd taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. Isn't it true in the midst of some suffering, some are partying and rejoicing? Verse 17. 
And David struck them down from twilight until the evening of the next day. And not a man of them escaped except 400 young men. I love that. Not a man escaped except for 400. I was like, seems like a big number to me, but there must have been a lot of them, who mounted camels and fled. David recovered all that the Amalekites excuse me, had taken. And David rescued his two wives. Nothing was missing, whether small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything that they had been taken. David brought back all. David also captured all the flocks and herds, and the people drove the livestock before him. And they said, this is David's spoil. Isn't it interesting? They used to say stone him. Now they're saying this is David's. Then David came to the 200 men who had been too exhausted to follow David and who had been left by the brook Bezer. And they went out to meet David and to meet the people who were with him. And when David came near to the people, he greeted them. Then all the wicked and worthless fellows among the men who had gone with David said, because they did not go with us, we will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered, except that each man may lead away his wife and his children to part. But David said, you shall not do so, my brothers, with what the Lord has given us. He has preserved us and given into our hand the band that came against us. Who would listen to you in this matter? For as his share is he who goes down into the battle, so shall his share be who stays by the baggage. Then they shall share alike. And he made it a statute and a rule for Israel from that day forward to this day. When David came to Ziglag, he sent part of the spoils to his friends, the elders of Judah, saying, Here is a present for you from the spoils of the enemy of the Lord. And in verse 27 through 20 to 31, there's going to be a lot of names of cities and places that he is going to bless. And I'm just going to close up by saying, for all the places where David and his men had roamed. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Thanks be to God. Again, let's pray. God, what a great story. Holy Spirit, point to Jesus through this story. Use this story to give us hope. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. As we look at this story, the overview, so the curtain opens on the scene with David and his men returning from a three-day journey. I told you they probably traveled about 25 miles each day. And they come back, and what do they find? Homes on fire, everything destroyed, and everything they loved, gone. All of their loved ones were taken captive. There was weeping and mourning, as would ex be expected for a tragedy like this, at this magnitude. It said of, of King David that, that he wept until that they could weep no more. Have you ever been there? Have you ever wept until you just can't weep anymore? I mean, have you faced a tragedy in your life where you just lost the strength because everything bottomed out? Because it doesn't seem to matter? I mean, that, that's where they are. Their stuff is gone, their families is gone, and they couldn't even weep anymore. And it can even get worse. They're like, let's just kill David. He's our leader, and this happens. Let's stone him. But what's the turning point we saw? The turning point is when David strengthened himself in the Lord. David, who was commissioned by God, goes and he's, he's going to rescue everything that he owned. He's going to rescue out all. He's going to plunder his enemies. And then he's going to share the spoils, even to those who are on the front lines. What an amazing, generous, benevolent king named David. Let's unpack this. 
all was lost from David. We see in verses 1 through 6. Hey, listen, let me tell you, all of our earthly treasures are, are vulnerable to be lost. I don't know what you put in your, what your, is in your bank account. I don't know what's in your retirement. I don't know what's in your home. But I can tell you this, every one of our earthly treasures, it's vulnerable to be lost. Our loved ones, they're vulnerable to be lost. As much as we try, as much as we want to protect that which is ours, let me tell you, if it's of this world, it's susceptible. It's susceptible to be lost. That's what I love what Jesus says on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, 19. He says this, Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust can destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. And then it's interesting for this. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Hurricanes, stock markets, cancer, it could take away earthly possessions and earthly relationships, but God gives us a treasure in heaven. David's loved ones were all taken captive. I mean, all of them, his wives. Now, just again, stop and imagine the pain. What would the pain be like to lose one child? What would the pain be like to lose your house? What would be the pain to lose them all? I mean, this is a Job-like experience, right? I mean, he comes back, and, and the earth is scorched. Everything is gone. His family, not there. Man, I, I, I can't imagine the pain. David wept over what he lost. Have you ever heard a grown man weep? I mean, wail. I, I, I don't know, really, of, of much other that is, is as painful or haunting as hearing a grown man wail. I remember getting a phone call years ago. I got a phone call from a friend of a friend who said, hey, will you go down to the hospital and, and visit a man who was out mowing his lawn on a ride-on mower and he didn't see his son run out to greet him and he backed up over him and ran over his son. And they're fighting for his life. Would you go down and see him? I said, sure. I get on I-4 and I head down to ORMC terrified. What am I going to say to him? He doesn't know me. I don't know him. How in the world do you, do you greet somebody like that? And how will I know who it is? Oh, I knew who it was. Because it was a far ways away when I heard that dad wailing. And it was haunting. It was haunting to hear that dad wail over possibly the loss of his son, tragically run over by a lawnmower. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to say. I just went up to him, and I hugged him. I put my arms around him. I said, I'm so sorry. And I wailed with him. Interesting, the story is the son survived. He lost a leg. Um, but I love the story that emerged from there, is that that man didn't know me, and he just, I would hear that some big dude showed up. It was like God came and gave me a hug. Man, just to know. I hear that sound of wailing. Oh, it haunted me. And here we have David wailing of all that he has lost. But the beautiful reality, Christian, is that Jesus gives us a heavenly treasure that can't be lost. But there's more. Jesus' loved ones were also taken captive. That's you and me. And we weren't taken captive by terrorists. Listen to this. We're taken captive by sin and death. It's captured all of us. 
It separated all of us from God. And we are all taken captive by that reality. And I loved it when Jesus came. What did he do? He wept over the lost. I love the fact that the Gospel of Luke says in Jesus' triumphal entries, he looks at Jerusalem and he sees Jerusalem. Guess what he does? He weeps. Because he weeps for those who are lost. He weeps over those who are broken. You know this Jesus? He shows up of a tomb of a friend named Lazarus who's been dead for three days and he's going to raise back to life. But guess what he does? He weeps. Because Jesus weeped over loss and Jesus weeps over death. And Jesus weeps with us. That is our Savior. If you've wailed and you've weeped until you can weep no more, let me point you to the one who's God Almighty, God in the flesh, and he weeps with us. I love what they said at Lazarus' tomb. Look at Jesus. He's crying. Man, he must love them. Yeah, he does. He loves us. He loves us. And he does more than just weep over us. Then secondly, blessed is rock bottom when the rock is Christ. I mean, we see in verses 5 and 6, I mean, David, he lost his family, he's lost his possessions, and by the way, they all want to kill him. I mean, this is like rock bottom right here. But what does David do? David strengthens himself in the Lord. Watch this. Now, David turns to God, and, and, and he could have, what many else would do, maybe curse God, or maybe run from God. But like Job, he doesn't. He strengthens himself in the Lord. Hit pause. How about with you? When things get bad, when things don't go your way, when there's great loss in your life, do you, do you yell at God? Do you run from God? Do you flip him off? Do you say, I don't trust you? Or, or by God's grace, do you have the response of David, who says, though he slay me? He turns and he strengthens himself in God. I love, one of my favorite Psalms is Psalm 18. It says this, I love you, O Lord. I love you, O Lord. I love you. I love you, O Lord, my strength. David, this is David's words. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who's worthy to be praised and I'm saved from my enemies. The cords of death encompass me. The torrents of destruction assail me. The cords of Sheol entangle me. The snares of death confront me. In my distress, I call upon the Lord to my God. I cry for help. From his temple, he heard my voice and my cry to him reached his ears. I love you, O Lord, my strength. When no strength is left in your body, God doesn't say, pull yourself up by the bootstraps. He said, turn to me. Find your strength in me. He inquired of the Lord. David seeks God's face for his next move. Should I go? Even when it seems so plain. Doesn't it seem plain? And what's David going to do? Should I go after everything that was lost? Come on, David, go. But isn't it interesting? David doesn't go before he prays. He doesn't go and then say, God, catch up. Here I go after them. He's, first thing he does, it's so convicting to me, is he gets on his knees and he prays. God, should I go? Should I go after them? He seeks God for guidance. And like, like Moses did. And just like God told Moses, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. God is going to show a great salvation. How is it with you? When things come your way, what happens first? Do you kick into gear? Do you start getting going? you start making the plans? you start making your list? Or do you hit your knees? When the things bottom out, is the first thing you do is seek the Lord's strength and his guidance? What a great example for us. David received a promise from the Lord. He's promised success, and he shares his success with others. And you know, 
what confidence he must have. God said to him, go. I imagine as he's going, he's picturing his, his wife's faces. He's picturing his kids. He's picturing all he's going to get back. He's got such confidence. God says, go get him. You're going to go get him. And I love picturing his kids looking out, thinking, is daddy coming? My daddy is such a bad you-know-what. He's taking down Goliath. He's, t- he's coming. My dad's coming to town. A new sheriff's going to be here. You Wait till you see what my dad, the king, who's coming, is going to be able to do. And I just love the fact that God gave him a promise. You're going to go get him. Oh, what a reunion. I imagine as he's chasing out after them, all he can picture is that reunion. I want to tell you about Jesus. In the midst of his despair, what did he do? He strengthened himself in his father. I mean, think of the Garden of Gethsemane. Think about the most agonizing moment of his life when he knew that he would be separated from God. He knew he'd become our sin. That he would beg the Father, take this cup away from me if you can. He sweats blood. He's pouring out an anguished soul to his Father. And he's looking for his Father to strengthen him in that Garden of Gethsemane. You know, all was rescued by David, verses 10 through 20. Nothing was missing, all was recovered. Don't you love that? Not one thing, not one sheep, not one goat, not one son, not one daughter, not one spouse. All were recovered. Nothing was missing. Jesus is even greater than David. Listen to this. Jesus recovers all. The greatest search and rescue that ever happened, the greatest search and rescue God did himself, it's Jesus. Jesus came to earth on a search and rescue mission. He came to seek and to save the lost. That's what Luke 19.10 says. That for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And all that the Father had given Jesus will be rescued. Listen to this. All that the Father had given to him will be rescued. Listen to John 6.37. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Not one will be missing. Listen to John 6.39. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose nothing of all that he has given me but raise him up on the last day. According to Scripture, listen to this, all the lost will be found. According to Scripture, all the found will be saved. Hmm. How do we deal with that? Clearly, salvation is of the Lord. The Father gave to the Son a list of those to rescue. And the Son came to lay his life down, and he loses None. Now, you may want to say, are all saved? Are we universalists? Do we believe that everyone has been saved? The answer is no. And so, how can this be? Clearly, we see the beauty and the sovereignty of God in this. That before time began, God set a unique love on his own. And he said to the Son, these are the ones you are going to go seeking to save. And Jesus is very specific. I will not lose one. I'm going to get them all. It's the beauty of God's sovereignty and plan of salvation. That Jesus will rescue all of his that are lost. And he is going to save them to the utmost. Thank our great Lord for his rescue. And then all was shared by David. I love the fact that David shares the spoils of his victory with all. Not only those who were left by the brook, those who were too tired to go, when those rabble-rousers said, hey, by the way, they shouldn't get any, They didn't go with us. They didn't fight the fight. We're the ones who deserve this. And David's like, no, no, no. This is a victory from the Lord. 
Everybody's going to do it. As a matter of fact, David says, I'm going to start sending some things back to the elders in, in Jerusalem. We're going to share this victory. We're going to share the spoils of victory. Jesus earned a victory that only the only obedient son can do it. He earned the Father's love and favor through his righteous life, atoning death, and resurrection. Now watch this. Ephesians 1.3 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Everything that Christ has earned as the only obedient son, everything that Christ has as the only begotten son, he's given to us. I'm going to give to you all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly realms. He says, I'm going to share. Ephesians 4.8 says this, Therefore it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. Now, what I love about that passage is it quotes Psalm 68. And if you read Psalm 68, it talks about a king who ascends on high who receives gifts from men. But our Savior gives gifts. And let me tell you the gifts that Jesus gives by his grace through faith. He gives the gift of life. He gives the gift of eternal life. He gives the gift of forgiveness. He gives the gift of adoption into his family. He gives the gift of his Holy Spirit. He gives the gift of a love that will never let you go. Jesus shares the victory with us. Life and life abundantly. God could not give us any more. God would not give us any less. Isn't that amazing good news of what our God has done? But here's the, here's the warning. For those who haven't been rescued by Christ, who have not put your faith and trust in him, you may like, be like those in today's text. They were eating and drinking and dancing and reveling in the success of this world. But the day of judgment was coming, and it was coming for them. And those apart from Christ, Scripture says, it's coming for you. God's grace and mercy. It says, I'm going to offer you life, life and life abundantly through the rescue of my son. But apart from him, there's death and judgment. How is it with you? Have you been rescued by the ultimate king, King Jesus? The ultimate search and rescue. The story, the good news of the gospel. Jesus gave us a meal. A meal to those whom he rescued, those whom are his. He says very specifically, this meal is not for those who haven't been rescued. But it's a meal to remind us the cost of our rescue. It cost Jesus a lot. The search and rescue, it cost his life. It's also to nourish us until we arrive home. And it's to remind us of a feast that is coming. For those of you who have been rescued by the king, come and partake. Come and taste and see how good our God is. Amen? Amen. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you for the ultimate search and rescue. It wasn't David with the Amalekites. It was Jesus with sinners like us. And God, we thank you that you've come to rescue us, to give us life and life abundantly. And God, I pray if there's anyone here who hasn't embraced Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior, they might be dancing and reveling for all that the world has offered to them. But apart from you, there's just death and judgment. But God, we thank you for a sacrifice that was made, that Jesus, you were willing to pay the cost. We thank you for that death on the cross. We thank you that you would become our sins so that we could be rescued and be restored to the Father. 
Oh, Holy Spirit, come and feed us now, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.